Brought to you by the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. Plus receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges and a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. Unlock a whole new world of travel with the Capital One Venture X Card. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Lounge access is subject to change. See CapitalOne.com for details. From Serial Productions and The New York Times, I'm Brian Reed. I'm Hamza Said. This is The Trojan Horse Affair. Here's what Hamza and I have figured out. The Trojan Horse Affair wasn't a mistake. The government didn't overreact simply because they'd failed to investigate the source of the Trojan Horse letter. It hadn't tricked them. They hadn't actually missed the link to Adderley Primary School and Rizvan Adar, and then pressed ahead anyway, with teacher bans, legal cases, school takeovers, enhanced national security policy. To tell you the story of how we figured that out, we're going to go all the way back to our very first week of reporting, to an interview we did with a key figure in this saga, the first person the Trojan horse letter was sent to, a man named Sir Albert Bohr. It came to me in a brown paper envelope. Unmarked. There's nothing remarkable about the envelope. Uh, The envelope just was addressed to me. Now, that would have been November. When the Trojan horse letter arrived in November 2013, Albert Bohr was the leader of the Birmingham City Council. He's not leader anymore, but he's still a council member. He's one of the longest serving in Birmingham, first elected in 1980. Councilor Bohr's a physicist by training, with bushy gray eyebrows and a shirt with its three top buttons undone and a gold chain against his chest. He was given a knighthood in 2002 for his service to local government. This conversation we had with him, it was before we'd done any digging into Adderley Primary School ourselves, before we'd really focused on Rizvana Dar and the legal trouble she was facing when the Trojan horse letter popped up, portraying her as an innocent victim. At this point in our reporting, we were still just gathering basic info about the letter. My staff, they opened the letter and brought it to me and said that... Um, we were hopeful Councillor Bohr might have something useful to share, because not only was he the first person to receive the letter, but he seemed like one of the few politicians likely to be candid with us. I remember back in 2014, during the hoopla, he came across as a skeptic of the Trojan Horse letter. He publicly said the letter was probably a hoax and called it defamatory. He also attacked the Department for Education's decision to send former counter-terror chief Peter Clark to investigate Birmingham schools. He thought handing the inquiry to a high-level terrorism investigator was overkill and risked alienating Birmingham's Muslims. It's not that Albert Board dismissed the idea that there was something worth looking into. The council did appoint their own non-terror investigator. But overall, he'd been a defender of the city and its schools. So here inside the city council building, council house, Ababo walked us through his very first moments with the Trojan horse letter, when he arrived here in his office. I, of course, looked at it, read it, reread it. Um, and he brought the letter to the attention of other top officials at the council, as well as the local police, who got back to the council and said, this wasn't a matter for the cops. They didn't see that at that point there was anything illegal going on or unlawful. And therefore, their view was there was nothing there for them to investigate. Um, that surprised me a little then, and it surprises me a little now. In, in what surprises you about it? Well, because statements in the letter, uh, which would have indicated that there were individuals who were acting in a manner which was uh, leading to um, uh, 
changes in uh, schools against uh, against the normal uh, um, uh, I guess the sort of change that would be allowed for uh, by the regulations, if you like, within which we operate. Um, so if I sat there next to Brian, confused. For one, Councillor Bohr seemed to be exerting an abnormal amount of effort to construct his sentences. And what it sounded like he was saying in those sentences was that he's always viewed the letter seriously, as a viable threat. There appeared to be a, a systematic attempt here to change the ethos of a school. There were things going on which we could not condone. And it was about dealing with But he'd said back then the letter was probably a hoax. And now here I was, watching him reach across the table for our copy of that same letter. Just just look at, and I've opened up the letter to look at the steps that the letter sets out. First step, identify the school. And reading through the plot steps. Third step, put in some governors. As if they were real plans for a real conspiracy. These steps were having the desired effect in a number of schools. What was he doing? Why was he waving the letter around talking like this? I thought I'd better say something. I wanted this matter to be looked at and looked at urgently. But this is... But, sorry, go on. But equally, from the very start... I was concerned. Okay, that didn't go well. Mental note. Stop skipping class at journalism school to go do these interviews. Who do you think wrote the letter? Do you have a thought have about no that? I have no idea who wrote it. You've I never considered no it. Oh, I have. I've, I've, <laughs> some, I've sometimes asked the question, I wonder who the hell wrote this letter? Um, someone set this out Um, for what purpose was this a hoax Uh, was it not a hoax who might have uh, uh, written it who might have sent it these were questions which were always about and never answered because they couldn't be answered and they still can't be answered well yeah I mean I guess like for me I, I I Discovering who wrote the letter, it's not just a curious thing, it's about figuring out the motivations of the person who wrote it. You know, if you find out more about the person who wrote it, you might figure out more about whether the allegations made within are actually real or not. Look, you're seeking to become an investigative journalist. I commend you for trying to find out uh, who wrote the letter. Your objectives are, are good, but those objectives weren't my objectives. My objectives were to find out whether steps one to five in any way happened amongst Birmingham schools. And if... I was at a bit of a loss for how to proceed. He was just acting so differently than I'd expected. From what I knew, Abu Bor had a well-established relationship with Muslims. He represents a ward with lots of Muslims in a city with a big Muslim population. He's a member of the Labour Party, which is the Liberal Party most British Muslims support. He was married to the first Asian Muslim woman elected to Birmingham City Council. He has Muslim kids. Yet he was putting stock in the Troja horse ladder, despite his initial misgivings about its authenticity. And despite what he'd seen with his own eyes in East Birmingham. For instance, Parkview, the school that had been having such success, that brought Albabore City such pride before the Troja horse allegations. Council had visited that school. I, I can tell you, I went to Parkview School. And I was amazed by some of what they were doing. Absolutely amazed. This is before Trojan Horse. 
So then can you understand what I mean about the nature of this letter, that you marveled at the same school that this I letter know, had but, you convinced? But, but educational achievement is one thing, but operating a school with an ethos, uh, with other values, is something we also have to reflect on. An ethos, other values. Words I'd become pretty familiar with from clash of civilization type texts that argue Muslims aren't compatible with a Western way of life. We pushed Councillor Board to explain what he was alluding to with these words. What, what have you learned that you are shocked by? What precisely had the Muslim educators who were working in these schools done that was so concerning to him? He kept referring to reports from the Trojan Horse investigators, but when we asked Albert Bohr what from those investigations had shocked him, it was telling that apparently nothing was disturbing enough that it stayed with him. He could only point to how governors and staff in East Birmingham had created what he called ominously an atmosphere. Where a school governing body is putting unacceptable pressure on teachers, unacceptable pressure on the head teacher to do things in a way which is not acceptable to enable certain objectives to be realized in that school. You're saying certain matters and certain objectives. What's the inappropriate thing that was actually happening? Because there's words like things are a little vague. Well, yeah, we're sure they're vague. But if you read these reports, it's quite clear that things were things were happening, which was against the run of what should be happening in that school. I don't find it so clear. I feel a little confused by the reports, having read them recently, quite honestly. What exactly about this is bad, you know, like undue religion? Against what standard is that being measured? When you read it, it's a little hard to get your grasp on what exactly the report is saying. And, and I'm not, you know, and I'm, I've read it in good faith and really trying to understand it. This is part of the reason we'd come to Albert Bohr, to try and get some clarity. The evidence and conclusions in these reports seemed fuzzy to us, so we were hoping Albert Bohr could help us understand what had made officials go from celebrating these schools for incorporating the students' faith and culture to condemning them. Instead, what we got from Councillor Bohr were insinuations. There were, quote-unquote, matters of concern, he said, a set of activities, individuals acting in common. By the end of the interview, he'd come up with exactly one example of a practice that was found going on in these schools that appalled him. Uh, in some schools, there were certain activities which it appeared were being done on a single-sex basis. And those activities, Abobor told us, were PE and sports. And that was because of the Muslim, so-called Muslim ethos that was being applied. Is that unusual for schools? Oh, it's totally, yes. It's totally against the normal activities of a school. The government doesn't give statistics on how many schools teach PE to boys and girls separately, but the Department for Education specifically allows for it. And from my own experience going to school in England, and every Brit I can remember ever talking to about this, that's pretty standard in schools, Muslim ethos or not. Council Bohr said he thought there were other inappropriate changes. Changes, he said, would have been okay, by the way, if these had been denominational schools, which they weren't. But again, he wasn't positive what changes he was talking about. In our two and a half hours with him, P.E. was all he could remember for sure. So there's no evidence of anyone being incited to violence, incited to join a group uh, that, that... I, I don't think violence. there's any evidence which could lead you 100% to that view. Uh, there might be evidence around. Councillor Bohr picked the Trojan horse letter back up. It's a partial letter. 
Well, it appears to be. You see, there was something before this first page, and it would appear that there could be something after the final page, because it says, I would also like, and then it stops. So that sentence is... He's referring to the bottom of the last page of the letter, that final sentence fragment, I would also like, as if the thought would have continued on the following page, had it ever been found. So this was part of a bigger document. Was there some further steps towards the end of this letter, which is about Islamic extremism? I don't know. So, all right, well, we learned where Albert Bohr stands, right? Fucking surprising, I'll tell you that, mate. Hamza and I headed out of Council House. We put its columns and dome and clock tower behind us and started walking. Hamza was animated. That's fine, but now to sit here and talk as if from day one, you received this letter, you accepted it, you went around and you tried to get other people to reflect your urgency, no one else was on board like you were. No, bullshit, mate. I love how mad you are. Mate, I'm pissed. Why? Look at the power that the letter had on officialdom. Right, look at it. Four years on, it is so ingrained in their mentality that, you know, all these things are sinister as fuck. All these things were happening. They had to be stopped. These practices, these blah, these steps. What the fuck was concerning? Tell me what's concerning, mate. Just break it down to me. You're literally poking me in the chest right now. Here, I am, I'm seething. The audacity to say that... Hamza and I kept walking around city center, past the clothing stores in the cathedral and a lane called Needless Alley, then past the clothing stores in the cathedral and Needless Alley again. It occurred to me, we're not actually going anywhere. I'm just like, I couldn't believe it, man. The way in which he was describing a situation, the, the terms in which he was kind of like addressing this issue, I'm like, fucking hell, mate. You are saying some radical shit essentially about me. I've, I cannot think off the top of my head at a moment where I've sat opposite someone and they have just, you know, disparaged Muslims in the way that board did today. Really? Honestly, honestly, I have not. Without quite doing it? Without quite doing it openly, but in a kind of like, not in wink kind of way, suggested that, man, come on, these guys are fucking extremists, let's be honest, do you know what I mean? and do it so casually, so comfortably. I guess Councillor Bohr's attitude towards the Trojan horse affair shouldn't have been such a surprise to me. While he had said the letter was probably a hoax, defamatory even, when I looked back at his early statements, I noticed that he had always equivocated, purveying the same logic that so many others had, that even if the letter wasn't genuine, it could still be pointing to serious issues. What pissed me off, though, was Councillor Bohr's reliance on the letter throughout our interview and the vague language he was using alongside it, his innuendos about extremism. I don't think Albert Bohr is a racist. I believe he has sincere concern and sensitivity about Birmingham's Muslims. But he still managed to make people like me sound alien and dangerous in some way. And it didn't feel good. And I actually thought at one point, like, does he know what my name is? Obviously, he's been corresponding with Brian Reed. Does he know there's Hamza Said in this room? Personally, it was eye-opening. Really, this interview? Well, yeah. It's a conversation I've had with my friends, with my conservative Muslim friends, who've always had held this belief that, like, 
there's a bigger, wider conspiracy, you know, and like everyone's against Muslims and there is no success for us in the West. And I never entertain any of it. I know it's common for us immigrants to get twisted up in our split-cultured existence. But honestly, I've been able to make it work for me. I grew up in a conservative Pakistani family, but we always lived in white neighbourhoods. I'm a Muslim, but I went to a mostly white Catholic school and was in mass service more than a mosque. And it's helped me carve out a pretty sweet spot for myself, a brown person who white people were at ease around. Because I dress like them and speak like them, I can get them to pay attention and care about what I have to say. Like convincing a Brian Reed to fly over from New York to join this hunt. This is part of what I was hoping to do as a journalist. I thought I could get access to white rooms of power and focus them on our brown issues. So when my Muslim Pakistani mates, who aren't as native to white spaces, tell me that the West has it out for all of us Muslims. I've always denied it, I've always said they're paranoid, and it's talk like that that's held us back. It's talk like that that... So you fought with your friends about this? I used to fight with them every opportunity I had. I've always, always, always argued against that. And then I sit opposite Albert Bohr. I mean, look, I didn't feel like I was sitting in front of a bigot. Just a rational man. Well-educated, well-learned, in a position of power. He's even married a Muslim once, and yet here is someone who can only look at this matter in terms of, like, something sinister. He was more willing to entertain the idea that the page I was missing at the end of this Trojan horse ladder, this was going to ultimately lead to radicalization, extremism. He was more willing to entertain that then he was willing to entertain the idea that actually there might have been something good happening in these schools and these kids were actually thriving. Is that making you rethink the stance you've taken in the past, I guess? Or is that what you're saying? It just makes me think that as much as I was convinced that their stance wasn't right, maybe my stance wasn't right either. And that makes me a little bit uneasy. Because you really believe that stuff. Yeah, I mean, God, it was very important for me to, to, to believe that. It gave me the impetus to kind of explore other fields, other careers, because I didn't think there was, you know, some kind of fundamental distrust of Muslims. Who the fuck was I defending? What do you do with these feelings as a journalist, I wonder? I don't know, mate, because, like, for me, the worry is, and I don't like talking about this, because for me, the worry is, what if you become the Muslim reporter? Right? Yeah. Say this is a society that you're operating in where if Muslims take over a school and turn it around, it's a threat. Then imagine a Muslim journalist who's coming in. What if people start listening to their words? Is that not equally a threat? If you weren't here on this story with me, I don't know if what we arrived to together as a conclusion, even if I arrived at the same conclusion on my own, would have enough credibility because these words are coming out of my mouth, they're going to be received differently. Um, for the shisha, can we get uh, vanilla and rose? And uh, can we just get a pot of minty as well, please? When it got dark out, we ducked inside a shisha cafe, a hookah lounge. It was cool. It was up at the top of this abandoned movie theater. I put my recorder down. I thought we were done for the day. Hamza picked it up. At some point, I should, like, ask you questions. 
At some point, I should ask you questions, he said. Which, fair enough. Yeah, it's fine. Because, like, okay, so I want to know... Why was I here, he asked me, doing this story with him? What was I hoping to achieve? I did this story this summer where I went to Alaska. Yeah. And, uh... Of course, Alaska is exactly where I thought this would go. Keep driving, keep driving. You go through Anchorage, you keep driving another, like, five hours... Brian told me about how he'd been reporting a story about immigration there recently, in a town called Homer. That's the end of the road in America, and that's Homer. And they were fighting. I googled the place after we talked. Pictures of bears, lakes, and mountains popped up. A far cry from Birmingham, UK. Yeah, they were having this fight about immigration in their town, even though they have no immigrants. But apparently, stories about places like Birmingham had influenced people out there. Brian kept interviewing Alaskans who told him they were afraid and angry at Muslims because. They'd read online how in Europe we'd taken over large swaths of cities and turned them into so-called no-go zones, where non-Muslims can't enter. On a Fox News segment, Birmingham was famously accused of being taken over entirely by Muslims, the whole city. He said it struck him how powerful these fears were, in a place where Muslims were basically a theoretical idea. There was only one Muslim guy, as far as Brian knew, who lived there, on a boat apparently. The night I walked up to Brian backstage, who's looking to report a story in one of these supposedly captured European cities to dispel the myths about them. Cheers to no-go zones, man. <laughs> Are we in one right now? No. And you know, I don't know. I heard all of Birmingham was... Yeah, I mean, it depends, <laughs> depends which outlet you tune into. <laughs> Do you think we'll change anyone's mind? About anything? Is that even an important ambition to hold, or does it does not matter? I don't think about that when I'm doing a story. Because okay. I feel like it will often lead to disappointment. The things that motivate me to do a story are because it's a good-ass story, and I want to tell a good story, and I feel like it can have all sorts of byproducts, mm-hmm. like changing people's minds. But for me, I think I would get disappointed a lot. Whereas like, if you're doing a story where you personally want to know the answer to something, you personally want to do the best story you can, then that's like where I try to derive the motivation from. You know? No. I didn't know. Why would you do a story if you didn't care what impact it would have? So, that was our first week in Birmingham. And like I said, it was before we knew much about Adderley Primary School or the resignation case against Rizvana Dar. But in the coming months, once we pieced together the resignation story, and we saw just how strongly it suggests that the Trojan Horse Letter was written to influence that Adderley case, we sharpened our strategy. We started asking people, important people, did you connect the Trojan Horse Letter to the Adderley dispute? And what did you make of the connection? But when we asked these questions, it became apparent that Adderley Primary School was the no-go zone. How about Adderley, the school that's talked about at length in the letter? What did you do in terms of, of taking that on? Um, what do you mean taking it on? Ian Kershaw, the consultant Albert Bohr brought in to investigate the Trojan Horse Letter for Birmingham City Council, we pressed him on the Adderley dispute. Did you read up about that situation at Adderley that was developing at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you give us a bit of details about that situation? No. It is particularly important that I don't. Kind of touchy, huh? And I'm certainly not going to comment upon it any further than I have already. We understand that. When we started filing freedom of information requests with the Birmingham City Council for documents we suspected had information about Adderley, they were touchy too. 
they stalled, issued ridiculous denials, were found by a regulator to have broken the Freedom of Information Law numerous times in their efforts to withhold documents from us. When I asked the Employment Tribunal for its records from the Adderley resignation case, the Birmingham City Council hired a fancy barrister to fight me. Not only did they not want the records released, the council wrote to the tribunal that the case file ought to be destroyed. And oddly, the city council submitted that request on behalf of Rizvan Adar and her husband, Kadir Arif. Even in Westminster, things were weird. We went down there to the House of Commons to talk to the member of parliament who represents Alam Rock, a guy named Liam Byrne. We thought he'd be helpful because Adderley Primary School's in his district, and we knew that one of the teaching assistants who accused Rizvan Adar of faking the resignation letters had gone to Liam Byrne for support. We knew he sent a letter to the Birmingham City Council about Mrs. Dar, saying he wanted her investigated immediately, saying this was so serious he wanted to talk to a council representative directly, that Rizvanadar was still at the school and, quote, has the freedom to destroy evidence. But when we tried talking to Liam Byrne about all that, about Rizvanadar and the way she was described in the Trojan Horse Letter. This is the second page of the Trojan Horse Letter. This section in particular about Adderley Primary yeah. School, which is in your, your constituency? Yeah. Did it stand out to you in any significant way when you read it? No more than the rest of the letter. He would not engage with it. We'd brought his own letters to talk to him about, but he sat there refusing to look at them. It was really awkward. It's right there next to you if you want to read it or not. I think you're allowed to look at uh, it. Seriously, I'm just not... I'm, I'm not going to comment on anything to do with... Well, Correspondence or representations for individual constituents. You don't need to do and that. If you don't here's, respect that, no, then no, no, I think we're going to conclude it here. So you never had a conversation with anyone else about Rizvana Dar being the author of the Trojan Horse Letter? I, I, I can't. I can't talk to you about. Why can't you talk about that? We're talking the day. Leaving us? What? I don't understand. You're waving us goodbye. He stormed away. Meanwhile, back in Alam Rock. Oh, just had another door slammed on us. This is moments after former chair of governors at Adeline, Jawed Iqbal, shut his front door in our faces. It's not like we'd surprised him or anything. We'd had a friendly conversation the week before, and he knew we'd be coming by. But this time, he threatened to call the police on us, the third person to make that threat in a month. It's so weird to have someone make you feel like you're doing something criminal. That move of trying to criminalize what you're doing, which is completely upfront and decent, you're you know? Str- you're struggling with this more than I am. I'm a fucking minority, mate. My entire life is this. Why are we doing this story? <laughs> and do you realize the story you're reporting on who you're talking to? It's so weird to have people criminalize you, you know, normal behavior. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm like, fuck you know, mate. You got me. <laughs> Appreciate the mirror you're holding up to me. I'm glad you're having these moments, mate. Welcome to my fucking world. It struck us that on the one hand, officials were insisting they'd barely thought about where the Trojan horse that might have come from because it didn't matter. And yet, when we'd asked them about the relationship of Adley Primary School to the letter, it triggered an almost Pavlovian response in them to run away as fast as they could. But one afternoon, in a fit of research, Brian came across a clue as to what they might be running from. We follow that lead after a break. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 
2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half where you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. I was noodling around on this site one day called whatdotheyknow.com, which helps people make freedom of information requests in the UK and keeps listings of them online when I found a reference to a Birmingham City Council record with a title that piqued my interest. Final Audit Report, Adderley Primary School, Alleged Falsification of Documents. Huh. I saw that a woman named Pauline Gagan had requested this document, which looked to be an investigation report from the council in 2014. And the council had responded that they would not be disclosing it. Pauline had asked for it again a couple of times over the years, and each time the council refused her. Don't record this bit. So we met Pauline for dinner to find out what she knew about this report at her favorite Italian restaurant in Birmingham City Center. How's the fish? Good, lovely. Though that makes the dinner sound like a much more normal evening than it was. (laughs) Pauline's the kind of person who cultivates a certain mystique. She wouldn't tell us the name of the restaurant to meet at, for instance. She directed us to rendezvous at a statue instead though, as we found out, the statue no longer exists. When we finally did make it to the Italian place, the proprietor beckoned Pauline to the host station, where he wanted to have a few words with her privately, which seemed mysterious in the moment, but we later learned was because she hadn't paid him the last time she was here, because her phyllo pastry tasted unusual. Do you have evidence? Oh, well, here's a little story. Now, as we're eating dinner, I'm trying to coax out of her anything she knows about this report, about the falsification of documents at Adderley. What made you go to them and why but she keeps telling me to turn my recorder off. Don't put that on there, I'll kill you. I'm still not clear what Pauline's profession is, by the way. But for our purposes, I'm going to go with vigilante local journalist. She used to run a Twitter account called News and Brum. Brum is Birmingham's nickname. The Trojan horse scandal was one of her biggest stories. Our dinner with Pauline was a bit disjointed. So we met her again the following week. This time she, Hamza, and I packed into a carol at the Birmingham Public Library. Our suggestion, she'd wanted to meet on a gallery bench in the art museum. She came bearing a bunch of old notes from her time reporting on Operation Trojan Horse. You can see how much I was immersed in it. I could tell you were immersed in it from afar. I could tell. Yeah, because I knew people were lying, that's why. People who shouldn't be at all levels. And people who are paid a lot of money to be leaders and honest and open. Pauline told us that while she was covering Trojan Horse, 
she got a tip from someone close to Adderley that after the TAs there had complained to Birmingham City Council that Mrs. Darr might have fabricated their resignation letters. The council did um, an investigation and that an audit report was written, which I have seen some of, but not all of, despite many tenacious freedom of information requests which have been rejected by the council. I'd requested it too, before meeting Pauline, and the council also denied me. Oh, I can't Hopefully. remember how many times I've asked for it. We saw you ask for it at least twice. I've asked for it more than that because I've asked privately as well, not, not putting it on whatdotheyknow.com. Clearly they don't want us to see it because so many people have asked for it. I know other, I believe BBC people have asked. I've asked, I know other journalists that work independently that have asked, you've asked. Nobody's getting it, are they? Really, if you wanted to put your money into anything in this investigation, it would be get that audit report. Test, 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 one, two. Uh, okay. <laughs> what, are you, what are you holding there, Brian? Okay, so we, um, <laughs> we uh, have just been given the audit report. <laughs> Final audit report. <sighs> it's in my hands. This makes it sound easy, but I have to tip my hat to Brian here. Getting this audit report was quite an ordeal. Not least because, as we would learn, one of the reasons the council was so sensitive about this report is because they eventually, rather mystifyingly, retracted it. Which we'll tell you a whole story about later. Anyway, it took some manoeuvring for Brian to dig it back up. I'd catch him late at night in his hotel room on his phone, swapping messages with sources, he'd say, about this audit report. He once ran away in the middle of a football match we were watching together to continue some secret conversation. I was weeks away from flagging this behaviour to his wife when... One day, he came up to me and said, Watson, I said, stop calling me that. He said, follow me. And we had it. We had the audit report. I can't say much about how we got it, except that we obtained it legally, we were able to authenticate it by cross-referencing it with other documents. And the honest way to us, it was held with gloved hands. Honestly, I feel like we've just acquired state secrets. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? It really does. Except it's about a primary school. This is the cover page. Restricted. Oh boy. It's One, substantial. It's 16 pages. 16 pages. Brian read it to me. The document was put together by internal investigators, auditors, including a counter fraud specialist at the Burn City Council, looking into the dispute resignations from the four TAs to determine whether the resignation letters have been falsified, and if so, whether Mrs. Dar was involved in their production. The report stated the 3rd of October, 2013, about seven weeks before the Trojan Horse letter appeared at the Birmingham City Council. So this is the information the council had about Rizvana Dar and those resignations as they were deciphering the Trojan Horse letter. This report, it's a brutal document for Mrs. Dar. The council investigators paint a picture of Mrs. Dar trying to get her Ocean's Eleven on to set up the TAs but fumbling at every turn. Let me share just one memorable detail. Investigators observed that on the resignation letter Mrs. Dart insisted was written by one of the teaching assistants, a woman named Shanaz Bibi. Shanaz's name is spelt incorrectly. It's missing an H. Meaning, if Shanaz Bibi had written it, like Mrs. Dart was claiming, she misspelled her own name. Then a couple of weeks after Mrs. Dart announced that the woman had resigned, the school sent greeting cards to all four of them, 
parting notes, wishing them well for the future. That alone was, quote, inappropriate for the school to do, the auditor writes, given that the employees were adamant that they hadn't resigned. But on top of it, in the greeting card Adley sent to Shanaz Bibi, Shanaz's name is also spelt incorrectly. It's missing an H, the same H that was missing on her alleged resignation letter. According to the report, when the auditors tried to interview Mrs. Dar for their investigation, she cancelled on them four times. The report says the lawyers for Adderley insisted in an email that Mrs. Dar and the school had, quote, substantial evidence, witness testimony and forensic that she had not forged the resignation letters, but they never provided any of it to the audit team. Adderley's lawyers had advised Mrs. Dar not to participate in the investigation since the school was in a legal fight with the TAs. The conclusion of the inquiry, the auditors write, is that although they found no direct proof confirming that the resignation letters were fabricated by Rizwan Adar herself. The manner and conduct in how she has chosen to deal with the resignations and this audit investigation is concerning and undoubtedly calls her integrity into question. Wow. We have determined that the resignation letters have been falsified. In the absence of any evidence to the contrary, it is reasonable to conclude that Mrs. Dar may have been involved in the fabrication of the resignation letters in order to terminate the contracts of employment of four individuals who each have an unresolved grievance raised against her. Birmingham Audit will be seeking the directorate's agreement to refer the matter to po- the police. Wow. wow. <laughs> so dramatic. There you go. This was new to us. A bombshell. The city of Birmingham was all over this case. Their auditors have been scrutinizing it for months, down to a graphological analysis of greeting cards. They determined that the resignation letters were fabricated, that Mrs. Dar might have been involved in fabricating them, and as a result, they'd sick the police on Mrs. Dar. In the weeks before the Trojan Horse letter appeared, at the request of the city council, Rizvana Dar was facing a possible criminal investigation. Mate, that's incredible. She was in big trouble. What we discovered in this audit report was proof that the Birmingham City Council, Albert Boer's Birmingham City Council, was intimately familiar with the Adderley case before the Trojan Horse letter ever appeared. So when they read the Trojan Horse letter, their investigators had already concluded that the scheme to overthrow Rizvanadar's head teacher, the most detailed example of Operation Trojan Horse, was based on the evidence they'd seen not believable. They'd found no plot against her. Quite the opposite. They thought, if anything, Mrs. Dar may have been the one who had plotted to oust her colleagues. They thought Mrs. Dar was out there, possibly planting fake letters. Dude, this is something. This is something. <laughs> the city knew all this. Next time on The Trojan Horse Affair, The Meeting and the Mole. The Trojan Horse Affair is produced by Hamza Syed and me, along with Rebecca Lax. The show is edited by Sarah Koenig, additional editing by Ira Glass, and by our contributing editor, Aisha Manazar Siddiqui. Fact-checking and research by Mark Acronoli and Ben Phelan. Original score by Thomas Meller, with additional music by Matt McGinley and Stephen Jackson. Sound design, mixing, and music supervision by Stephen Jackson and Phil Domahovsky at the Audio Non-Visual Company. Julie Snyder is our executive editor. Neil Drumming is managing editor. Supervising producer is Nde Chubu. 
Executive assistant is Alberto de Leon. Sam Dolnick is an assistant managing editor of The New York Times. Special thanks to Valerie Cesar, Leonardo Fireman, and Phoebe Wang. The Trojan Horse Affair is made by Serial Productions and The New York Times. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.